0: This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org Right, if you've got your Bibles, open to the book of Revelation, please. This is a word I've wanted to share for a while and it just kind of seemed to work out that it was this week and and I realised it was kind of... A fairly appropriate word, given what's been going on in the world. And um, I want to talk to you this morning about three open doors. Okay, three open doors. And we're going to read, first of all, from Revelation 3, verse 7, to Revelation 4, verse 1. And uh, here's here's a little clue for you. We will be reading, in this passage, there will be three open doors mentioned. Okay, or three doors that need to be open anyway. And, uh, and then we're going to go back and look uh, in Revelation 1 as well. So we're going to go Revelation 3 verse 7 to begin with. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works, Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you've kept my word about patient endurance... I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church at Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, that you were neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich and I've prospered. And I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Also, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the voice which I'd heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Okay, did you spot three doors? Good. I'm only going to be talking about the three doors. There's lots of other stuff in there that I'm sure we're thinking, Man, that sounds... That sounds fantastic, that sounds really wonderful, that sounds really mysterious and strange. Well, I'm not talking about those things, I'm just talking about the three doors, so sorry about that. Sorry to disappoint you, but we're going to stick on these easy-to-understand doors. And um, Jesus in there made reference to the fact that he holds the keys. And if we go back to Revelation 1, verse 17 and 18, this is John's first vision of Christ in the book of Revelation Uh, So Revelation 1, 17, John says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus holds the keys. That's the first thing that John says sees, realizes the first thing that's revealed and the first thing that he passes on to us about this risen Christ, the Jesus, as he is right now, risen from the dead, ascended to the heavens, sat down at the right hand of the Father. He says, this is, this is the first thing you're gonna, he, he wants you to know about him. He's got the keys in his hand. And he says, doesn't he, Jesus makes this promise, what I open, no one can shut, and what I shut, no one can open. Everything... Is in his hands, and um, he says the first thing he says is this: "Fear not." You know what? It's if someone just tells you don't be afraid. If they don't give you a reason, it's quite difficult to actually kind of act on that, isn't it? You know, if you if you imagine you were going to do something scary, I don't like going on a roller coaster. You know, if someone if you were getting afraid and someone said, "Well, don't be afraid," and you think, "Well, why shouldn't I be afraid?" Well, you might, there might be some evidence. There might be, well, no one has ever hurt themselves on this roller coaster. You see, then you might go, okay, well, you've given me a reason to not be afraid. And Jesus gives us a reason not to be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. And I've died and now I'm alive forevermore. He says, fear not. First of all, because I want you to know who's in control. I've got the keys. I'm the one that's in control. I'm the one that opens doors and closes doors. And just in case we were worried that there might be some keys he doesn't have, he kind of says, look, I've got the keys to death and to Hades and the grave. And, and, and if I've... One of the reasons, one of the, the reasons that, that Jesus triumphs over the grave... Is he wants us to see that the greatest enemy that you can imagine, the strongest force at work in this world, is under Jesus' control. He has actually taken authority over death itself. And so anything else has lost its ability to, to scare us when we know that the, what's the worst that can happen. I always like to think about the you know, worst case scenarios when, you, when you're doing something. I don't know if you've ever written risk assessments. Um, But, you know, and you think, well, what's the worst-case scenario? And in most situations, the worst-case scenario is that you die, okay? Now, that's quite extreme and probably quite unpleasant. But at the end of the day, Jesus has has triumphed over death. And, And I was going to say, if I die, when I die. No, if I die, because Christ may return before I die. But if death comes my way, it's not the end. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, so he's kind of saying that you know that death is, is 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 not necessarily pleasant but you know what the 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 result of it is something that is even better for ourselves. This week I conducted the funeral of my auntie my my mum's elder sister. She was 83. And um and I conducted uh, the the funeral and uh, what was interesting and, and all all her children are all believers, and they all came and gave their, their tributes and the things they said. And it was a, it was a really positive funeral. Um, and one of the reasons was is that most of the people in the room there were utterly convinced that she had gained something from this experience. They, you know, genuinely believe she's now with the Lord, and we're going to see her again. You see that, so you realize that's how, that's how death has lost its sting. And Jesus is saying, look, I've got the keys. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then he says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega. What's he saying? Well, Alpha and Omega are the first and the last letters of the the Greek alphabet. And sometimes he says, I am the beginning and the end. Jesus is saying this, whatever your story is, I'm a bigger story. Whatever you're going through right now, there's a bigger narrative that is is defined by, by me, by Jesus. And when we come to Christ, we get brought into that. And so whatever is happening around you, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, because of Christ, you and I are part of a bigger story. And and that's one of the things the Bible does, and that's why it's so important, so important to, to read the first two and the last two chapters of your Bible regularly. So many Christians have a narrative that starts with Genesis 3 and sin, And their whole understanding of the gospel is it's about trying to deal with the problem of sin. Well, that's the first thing the gospel does. Okay, That's the first key that is turned when we receive the gospel, that it deals with the problem of sin. But it opens a door for us to come into this much bigger purpose that God has. And we find that if you really want to get to grips with what God's eternal purpose is, I suggest you read Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22 every day for a month. And I'm pretty confident that it will begin to reshape your understanding of what God is doing. Because he's saying there's a bigger story. It begins with creation and it ends with a new creation. It ends with a new heavens and a new earth. I lay out at the beginning all that I'm intending to do and I'm going to show you at the end what it's like. And that in itself, even Christ's return the bringing of the, in of the new heavens and the new earth is, imo- is turning a key in a lock and opening it into this glorious future. However good this world is, and I can't remember the context, but yet again, I had the uh, will there be meat in heaven debate with someone this week. And uh, <laughs> um, all I know is there won't be death in the age to come, but I also know that the age to come will outdo everything of this age. So I'm standing by my steak fruit tree expectation. God can do it. He's the Alpha and the Omega, He encompasses history. God is bigger than history. And then Jesus says this, he said, I died but now I'm alive forevermore. And of course where that happened was at the cross and he doesn't only encompass history but he also centres history because the whole of history is centred around Christ. It's interesting, isn't it, that for, for, for centuries we were quite happy to divide history into before Christ and the years of our Lord. Well, The spirit of kind of secularism and humanism has come along and wants to call it before the common era and after the common era, but it's still defined by Jesus. (laughs) Okay? He came in, he is the center of history. The cross is the center of history. The cross is an amazing thing because Christ's sacrifice works forward in history. You know it worked backwards in history as well? What does it say about Abraham? It says, Abraham believed God and he received his righteousness on credit. Slightly. Um, paraphrase it was credited to him as righteousness why, why, is the, why is the Bible using the language of credit well because Abraham it was guaranteed but he didn't receive the full uh, experience of it until after Christ had died and rose again we often read in, in, in Ephesians 4 it says when he ascended he, he, he led captives in his train, have you ever wondered who they are well, I believe they were, the, they were the souls of the righteous that had been, until that point in paradise, which kind of the Bible paints as being this, this kind of nice bit of the grave. But once Christ came, and Peter says he went and preached the gospel, he went and preached liberation to, those, to the souls that were um, in prison, and they, he led them, Ephesians 4 says, quoting Psalm, I think 78 it is, into the presence of God. That's why Hebrews says, now that there's this great cloud of witnesses, that's why the book of Revelation shows us that there are saints around the throne. Okay, that those all those old saints in that their, 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 their salvation was guaranteed, but they didn't fully experience it until Christ came. And when he came, the cross worked backwards into history. Why could God give salvation when Jesus' sacrifice hadn't yet been made? Because it was such a powerful thing. It was an eternal thing, released into the world. So the cross becomes the center point. Of the whole of history. By the way, the idea that Jesus went and liberated those and took them into heaven, into the presence of the Father, explains what we read about in the Gospels that that, that people that when when Jesus uh, at the time of his death and resurrection, that, that those who had recently died were seen walking the streets again. That's uh, that would have been a pretty interesting experience, wouldn't it? <laughs> What's Grandma doing here? We buried her last week. <laughs> well, something's happened. The Son of God has come in, and he has re-centered history. He's come in, and he's dealt with death. And there was this little sign. I mean, spectacular for those that saw it and experienced it, but within the sweep of history, just this sign of saying, look, death has lost its sting. The the grave, the, the gates of the grave have been unlocked. Why? Because Jesus is raised From the dead. This is the Jesus that gives us confidence. This is the Jesus that we put our hope and our faith and our expectation in. So, knowing that and knowing what it means for Him to have the keys, let's go and look at these three doors. And we're going to take them in reverse order. The first one we read about was in Revelation 4 1. And John says, I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven. I saw a door standing open in heaven back in 3 verse 20 when he's writing to uh, the church in Laodicea where's the door for the church in Laodicea what's, what's the reference to the door there who can tell me stand at the door and knock and what is that, what is that door do you think figuratively yeah Well, they are the church, so hopefully they're saved. (laughs) What's he knocking on? The hearts. That's right. He's saying, let me in. Yeah. Let me in. It's a bit, it's reminiscent, I think kind of perhaps deliberately, it's reminiscent of that image of when Peter, the angel, busted Peter out of prison, and he went and he had to keep knocking on the door of the the house where the church were meeting, because because no one would let him in. And even when, even when one of the serving girls goes opens the hatch and comes back and goes, it's Peter. They go, it can't be Peter. Peter's in prison. Um, but you know, and, and I think there's an echo of that. There's an echo, I mean, it's a serious thing that he's dealing with here in the, with the church in Laodicea, but there is this kind of slight comic echo, isn't there? This picture of, of Jesus, the, the Lord of the church, knocking on the door of the church and the lives of the people in the church and saying, let me in. It's like when we sing that song, Jesus at the centre, and uh, uh, there's a line in there, isn't it? Jesus be the centre of the church. And I remember having a discussion with James Aubrey, who is uh, zealous for good theology and doctrine, and and James kind of said, well, we can't actually ask that, because if he's not the centre, it's not the church. You know, so we would try to reconstruct that line, you know, Jesus be the centre of this group of people that think they're the church, but aren't really, because they're not letting you be the (laughs) centre. It didn't scan too well, but um, it ticked the right kind of theological boxes. (laughs) And then the first one we read about was in, in 3 verse 8 to the church in Philadelphia. And what was their open door? Say it a bit louder. What's the open door in 3.8? Yeah. Yeah, actually, I've, I've realised that I was going to read this in a different version that actually uses the word opportunity. Uh, and it's not in the version I read. Sorry, I've got the wrong Bible out of my bag. Yeah, this this door, of, this door of opportunity. This door to be shown to be who you are. Sorry, it's a bit of a trick question. I I've I've thought I'd read it from a different translation. Okay. So first of all, then, we're going to work through these backwards. The door open in heaven. And um, I, I want us to know and I want us to appreciate that this door that John saw open in the heavens is still open today. In Psalm 78, it talks about God opening a door in the heavens and sending manna for the uh, people of Israel while they were in the, in the wilderness. He says, I opened a door and I sent my salvation. I sent this, this food to you. But we, you know, we live in a day when, when, when God's open door, this open way, the heavens being opened so that salvation can come, is, is the day that we permanently live in. Acts 2 tells us that that, that we live in a new day of salvation when all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so when John sees a door standing open in the heavens, it's not because God's just opened it so John can see it. It's because he's seeing what is the the spiritual reality of the days that we live in. We live in, in, in the days where heaven is open Ephesians tells us that we've been raised with Christ and we're seated with him in heavenly places. And God God says to John, come up here. It's It's not just John that gets to come up here. It's everyone who's been saved, everyone that's been redeemed. We come and we take our home in the heavens. There is a door open in the heavens. Hebrews 10 verse 20 says we come to him by a new and living way that is opened up through us through Christ's body that when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, that just as surely as, as, as when, that, when they put the spear in his side and the blood and the water came out, just as surely as when the, the, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, that there was a reality that the access into heaven had been opened up. Jesus died. Three days later, he rose. Forty days later, forty days Later, he ascended. And another 10 days after that, he sent his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit burst out of heaven through the open door. I expect by then they'd repaired the temple veil. That doesn't bother God. But the Holy Spirit came and and showed, you know, the door is still open. Just as surely as you can come into the presence of God, God is breaking out of the heavens through the open door, which is the broken body of Jesus. And unless... Jesus is, you know, one of the things about Jesus in his resurrection body, he still has the scars. He says to Thomas, doesn't he? Here are the scars. You wanted to see these scars. In fact, you wanted to touch them. Thomas quickly wised up and said, I don't need to touch them anymore. I believe, Lord, I believe. It's been said, isn't it, those are the only man-made things in heaven? The scars that are on Jesus. They're still there. Why? Why, 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 didn't they get, why didn't they get healed and perfected in his resurrection body? Because they speak to us that the way is still open. The door is still open. There is a door open in the heavens. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. Says this, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus. That open door means that one day Jesus is coming back. What he's opened, no one can close. He's made a way, and he says, I'm leaving that way open because I'm coming back one day. Heaven is our place. Of residence, it's our home, and I believe that one of the things that we, one of the ways that we need to respond to the work of what God has done, the work of what Christ has done, the fact that He's opened a door into the heavens, is to have the same perspective that John was told to have: "Come up here, come up here." That we need to have a "come up here" perspective. That we need to get used to. Have you ever been on a Have you ever been on a um, an, on a chairlift up in the mountains? And, uh, and usually they don't go too far above the ground, do they? It's, it's not that far, but occasionally they kind of like then cross like a, a valley or a ravine or something and you suddenly realise that you're just sat on the chair and there's just this kind of like metal bar around you, there's no harness, there's nothing kind of that's clamped you in position and you look between your feet and it's an awful long way down. You know, we need to get used to that perspective. Yeah, because if we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, everything that's happening on this world is is viewed down between our feet, and it also reminds us that God is bringing all things not only under His feet but under our feet. Romans 16, 19 says that God of peace will soon crush Satan. I love that peace and crushing. He will soon crush Satan under your feet. Okay, we we have a perspective of 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 G- the, the same perspective as Jesus this resurrection ascension seated and look everything i have a downward view of everything that happens on the earth if we have that attitude of come up here come up here you know when you begin to worry you should respond to that tugging of the holy spirit when he says come up here i want to show you i want to lift your gaze i want to lift your expectation Okay, let's go back to the, the door in, in chapter, in chapter um, uh, 3 verse 20 where uh, the Laodiceans, they were neither hot nor cold and he comes and he says, look, I'm knocking, let me in. I want to get in. I want to get into my church. What had blinded them to uh, the fact that, that they had stopped centering their lives around Christ was their success and their feeling of comfort and prosperity, now, I like to be comfortable, and I like to be prosperous, but it seems that those things have a tendency to lead us away from Christ, and so, you know, just in, just in, the, in the sense of self-preservation, let's make sure we keep centred on Christ, because <laughs> I don't want those things to drag me away, but here is the grace of God to us. He says, look, um, uh, though, those I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Isn't that great? That to be zealous, which is to be kind of like to be fervent for the things of God and for God and his purposes, the key to that is to repent. Repentance is a powerful thing. Repentance can mean a 180 degree turnaround. That's what happens when you got got saved. And you know it's possible as a Christian to be walking so far in the wrong direction that it takes a 180 degree turn. But please don't wait until you're 180 degrees in the wrong direction before you make any readjustments of repentance in your life. Yeah? We can just get a little bit off track, but if we keep a short account with ourselves, our zeal is for God, then we find that we make these continual small adjustments. And I believe that's God's intention. For all of us, that's how he wants, uh, he, that's how he wants us to, to, to grow in him and to learn his will. is isn't through making a, a, a series of, of catastrophic blunders where we need a complete life turnaround. But it's actually every day, out of our, out of our zeal, out of our passion, saying, Lord, just, just readjust me. That we're listening. Whenever we hear the word preached, whenever we hear a prophetic word come, whenever we're in a conversation and someone shares something with us, or whenever someone challenges you on something... And our natural reaction is to be self-defensive, isn't it? And to, to justify ourselves and to, and, to, and to kind of come with a, no. But actually the Holy Spirit says, look, I'm being gracious to you. Look, there's a little adjustment that can come here that's going to that's gonna cause you to never get to this place where suddenly Jesus is on the outside knocking. Repentance is a powerful thing. He says this, he says... Um, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Tune our ears to hearing the voice of God. That we're expecting we're going to hear. Whenever we have a conversation, whenever we pray, whenever we read the scriptures. We're going to hear the voice of God. Even when we're doing things that are perhaps not spiritual. We're watching the news. and Suddenly a thought drops in. Why? Because God is speaking to us. Okay, Listen for his voice. And then fellowship with Jesus. I'm going to come in and I'm going to eat with you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Reminds us of the story of Zacchaeus where, you know, salvation comes to Zacchaeus' house without, as far as we can tell from the narrative that's recorded for us, Jesus ever calling him to repentance. He just comes and he's with him. And the presence of God is, has this transforming effect on Zacchaeus' life as he, of his own volition, repents and reorientates his life to one of a follower of Jesus. We've got to be ready to open the doors of our lives. Listen for the knocking. Listen for the voice. Keep a short account with sin. Repent and prioritize fellowshipping with Jesus. Wouldn't it be terrible after the the, the the great and wonderful work he's done in opening this door in heaven that he comes and finds that we've shut the doors of our lives? And then the final one is, is back in, in chapter 3. And here's Philadelphia. And, you know, they they, they kind of have a little bit of the opposite problem. They're not kind of arrogant because they, they think they're weak. And he goes, you know, and yeah, it's interesting. And Jesus doesn't disagree with them weak, but he says, you have a little power. And that's interesting, isn't it? The perspective. You have a little power. That reminds me of the, you know, the story when the disciples go in the boat and they haven't got, any, they haven't got enough bread. It's in Mark 10, I think, just after the feeding of the 5,000. And they're, they're bickering with each other because everyone forgot to bring bread. And Jesus uh, you know, they say we've you know, we've got Jesus says, you know, what do you why do you say we've got no bread? Actually, they did have some bread. I think they had one loaf, or maybe two, I'm not sure. I can't remember now, but there's they they but the little bit they had they identified as nothing. And Jesus then says, you know, we, we remember when we fed five thousand, <laughs> how many loaves did we have? And when we fed four thousand, how many loaves did we have? And he says, Don't you understand? And they didn't, but if you do the maths, one loaf between thirteen of them was way more than five loaves between (laughs) 5,000. But it's all to do with, what do you see? But the Philadelphians are, are in a better place, because he says, you know, you've got a little power, and you've been faithful. And I want you to know that the opposition that you are facing, I'm opening a door of opportunity. I'm opening a door of opportunity for you. You know, God wants us to live before open doors of opportunity. So he says this, I know your works. I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. That however disadvantaged we seem, however tough the times seem to be at the moment, it seems like a tough time. There's lots of things happening. You think, well, you know, God's been talking to us about reaching out and now we're at a time where everyone's talking about social distancing. How How do we put those things together? But he says, no, look, there's a door in every season. There's a door of opportunity open for you. And no one can shut that. Now, I'm not talking about going around and breaking all of the uh, controls that have been put on to try and stop disease being spread. But just because the doors you expected to be there might not be there, you're going to get told maybe to work from home. And you go, well, you see, I thought I was going to get to, you know, witness to people in my office. You know what? The door of opportunity is still there. Why? Because Jesus has opened it, and what he opens, no one can close. We've just got to have a little bit of, of insight. We've just got to have a, raise our expectation and not, not tell ourselves where everything's shutting down. Everything out here may be shutting down, but Jesus says, my door of opportunity is still there. I have opened the door. No one can shut it. Um, in, um, let's look at some of the opportunities that, that Paul makes reference to in his ministry. First of all, it's got 1 Corinthians 16 verses 8 and 9, and I just want to show you that this is kind of like a common thing in the New Testament, that the way that God advances his purpose, the way that he uses us is that he opens doors of opportunity, okay, and we've, been, we've listened to prophetic words, haven't we, about 2020 is a year of plenty, about the direction of God saying, you know, go and lift your voice, and, and already the different creative ways, we've got two very different things happening, that you heard about today. We've got a bunch of people going to go out and worship on the streets and we've got another bunch of people organising a money seminar. Okay, Isn't that an amazing thing about the Word of God? that that What it provokes when it comes, it comes and people say, I've seen an open door. We're going to be, we believe, trust, expect at the moment, gathering Easter Sunday. I met with Hannah Cox this week to begin planning what we're going to be doing on Easter Sunday. There's another door of opportunity to share the Gospel with people. Um, but you know what, if that doesn't happen the door of opportunity is still there we've just got to find from the Holy Spirit Well, where is that door of opportunity Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 16 verses 8 and 9 um, he says I will stay at Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door of effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries isn't that interesting I'm staying here because God has opened a wide door. How do you know that, Paul? Well, it's not from the natural response he's getting. Because the natural response is, I've got a lot of adversities. And we can read about the story of the rioting in Ephesus and all that kind of stuff. Thousands of people on the streets because of the effectiveness of the gospel. But he says, look, God has opened. This is a wide door of opportunity. Don't don't judge your opportunity by, by what the naturalized see. He talks about um, oh, I've got the reference missing from this one. I'm sorry about this. He talks about when he, when he was in um, oh, is it? it's not here. It's when he's talking about where he went from place to place, and he says, and he he went to Troas, and he found that the door was open because he couldn't find Titus there. He didn't stick around because he didn't feel comfortable ministering by himself. Isn't that interesting? I'll I'll, I'll look up the reference later. I don't know whether I've got it written down, but I remember the story. He goes, you know, I went to Troas, and there was there was there was a wide door of opportunity, but I didn't find Titus, so I I went on. I carried on, and this is where eventually he goes to Athens, and then he meets up with (coughs) um, uh, Timothy and Luke in uh, Corinth. But um, God is not short of opportunities. If the Apostle Paul can say there was an opportunity to preach the gospel which I didn't take and I believe that that was the right thing to do in the will of God. What kind of a God do we have that opens so many opportunities for us? It's also a great encouragement, isn't it? Because how many times, and I've had these conversations with many people, they say, I realised I had this, we've been talking about sharing our faith with people and and looking for an opportunity every day to share your faith. Let me just ask you this. How many of you have had an opportunity to share your faith with someone since the beginning of this year that you didn't take? Okay. So that was was, a... Always get a good response to those kind of questions. (laughs) You know what? You know what? That's okay. Because God is not short of opportunities. He is not short of doors that he's opening for you. It's not like he goes, well, you know, look back there on March the 7th. Linda at the desk next to you made mention of the friend of, of, of the fact that she had a headache and you didn't offer to pray for her. <laughs> February the 12th, you walked past a homeless person and looked the other way. You know what? God's not doing that. He's opening lots of doors. What does Ephesians 2 say? That he's, he's prepared in advance good works for us to walk in. Now, we, we don't want to test and try God. And we don't want to have hard and rebellious hearts. But you know what? God is not short of opportunities. It's like we said last week. There are, there are plenty of fish in the sea and he knows where they are. Where they are. Um, but we want to take them because we know that Jesus has opened these doors of opportunities for us. And then, and this is always a good place to end, Colossians 4. Paul is writing to this church that he's never visited, but he's confident that they are joined in partnership with him in the mission that God has called him to. And so he says this, Colossians 4 verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison and make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Here's the thing, he's in prison. You think, if there was ever a place where you think, well, I guess I'll take a break. No. What does he ask them to do? He says, can you pray that God would open a door of opportunity even though I'm in prison? that God can open a door um, so that the word of God, the gospel can be preached. And while you're at it, and this is a prayer that I think we can all pray as well, pray that I might speak it clearly. <laughs> that I can, I can take whatever that, whatever that door might be. And we know, we know the end of the book of Acts tells us that Paul was under house arrest in Rome and the whole of the Praetorian guard came to hear the gospel. You know, a naturally closed door is not a problem when God opens doors of opportunity. And he's done that for us. And we pray. And we pray. And I'm going to pray now for us as we close. That God would open doors for us to speak the word. And that we can do it with great boldness and clarity. Amen? Should we stand together? Jesus, we thank you for the way that you have made into the heavens and the open door, which means that we can be at home with you in the presence of God and that all that you have stored up in heaven has an opportunity to come and break into our earth and into our world. Lord, we say for ourselves, Lord, we repent of any resistance that we've had to your voice, Any things that we've put our own trust and faith in outside of you, that where we may have become complacent or comfortable or thinking that we've got it all and that slowly and subtly we've been drawn away from fellowshipping with you, Lord, we repent of that and we say our lives are open to you. Every day. And every day, Lord, we come and we're going to check and we're going to reposition ourselves and tell you, Lord... Our lives are open to you. And Lord, we thank you that you open many, many doors of opportunity. And so, right now, Lord, I pray for each one of us here and those that are not here this morning. Lord, that you would give us sensitivity and spiritual insight to see the opportunities that you have open before us. And Lord, even as we live in, in a time where things become uncertain and routines change and and our practices and our patterns and our habits of life are interrupted. That you would show us the doors of opportunity you have for your word to be spoken. And for us to speak it with boldness and clarity. Lord, if the Apostle Paul needed to pray to ask people to pray for that, how much more do we? But Lord, we say we know your opening doors. And we say open more doors in this season, Lord God. Open more doors for us. And give us the boldness, the anointing, the zeal, the clarity. And the confidence to speak your word. To lead people into new life with you. To proclaim the gospel. To see those who don't know you come to know you. To see sinners become saints. To see your family grow, Lord God. That's our desire, Lord. That's our cry. That's what our lives are here for you for today. For your glory, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.